0: Hello and welcome to The Exit presented by FlipUp, the number one platform to buy and sell online businesses. FlipUp manages over a billion in deal value annually and combines expert buy and sell side advisory with its market-leading valuation tool, deal room, off-market offering, market insights, and AI-based deal-by-deal matching engine. Now for The Exit. The Exit is a 30-minute podcast featuring awesome entrepreneurs who have been there and they have done it. The Exit talks to operators who have bought and sold businesses of all different sizes. You learn how they did it, why they did it, and get exposure to the world of Exits. It's a world occupied by a small few, but accessible to many. On today's episode of The Exit, I sit down with Andrew Kristolidis. He's an awesome entrepreneur who talks about how he started with a call center and eventually saw that he could potentially make more than a minimum wage salary by starting his own outsourcing call center startup. And ultimately, his boss became his first customer which is a fantastic entrepreneurial story and one that we hear pretty frequently where you identify a problem, you solve it, and the size of that problem is directly proportional to usually the outcome that you get. When you solve a great problem, you have a great outcome. And I think there's a really fun concept here around how Andrew progressed through his career and now his current company, Applaudable, is basically on track to get 100 million users. I mean, we talked about this at length before the podcast, after the podcast. And he has 100,000-plus people signed up, ready to start using this really cool social platform that is about sharing experiences. And I'm really interested to follow this. And the link to this, of course, will be in the show notes. But I'm really impressed by Andrew's background and his exit uh, of a company called Asina. And that is the really beautiful story arc of this, is going from doing a call center outsourcing company that goes through an exit all the way to starting a social platform that is you know, directly on track to get hundreds of millions of people using it. So without further ado, let's sit down here on the exit and talk to Andrew about his successful exit. All right, everyone. Today, I am joined by Andrew Christolitas and he is the founder and CEO of Applaudable. How's it going, Andrew? Good. How are you, Steve? Doing great. Doing great. Before we unpack the successes that you've had and the exit, I want to talk about your background. What got you into business and
1: entrepreneurship? Uh, Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Queens, New York to uh, immigrant parents I watched them sort of working really hard to build a decent life for themselves and for, the, for their family. For, for years, uh, when I was a kid, my dad would start delivering Greek newspapers at 3, 3.30 a.m. Uh, he'd start his regular work day around 7 and come home around 7 at night, uh, have dinner, and then do it all over again the next day. He had a third job on, on weekends. After my first year of college, my dad lost his primary job where he was at for about 25 years. And the impact that had on my parents is something I'll, I'll remember forever. Both him and my mom were not formally educated. They were unbelievably scared. And uh, they didn't see any choice at the time that would enable them to maintain the, you know, decent middle-class life that they worked so hard to create. At the same time I was in college, really feeling like I was wasting my time and my parents' tuition money. Uh, After my dad lost his job, I really couldn't stand the thought of money they didn't have uh, continuing to be used for tuition with what felt like no clear benefit given I didn't want to be there. Um, I was also working while I was in college. And around the same time, my then boss asked me to research call center outsourcing companies to replace the one that, that his company was using at the time immediately realizing that the cost of those services was greater than my minimum wage salary at the time, I decided to start a call center outsourcing company myself and my boss agreed to be my first client.
0: Nice. Nice. Very very good positioning. I think a lot of that is a a textbook example of an entrepreneur being born where you find a problem while you're working at a company and then you just dive in <laughs> and then sell it to that company or uh, you know a different uh, a different group of customers. But that kind of is a good transition into what types of things you guys you were tracking. Like, did you find a co-founder? Did you measure it by revenue? Did you measure it by users? What types of KPIs did you have?
1: Yeah, so in the first business, I mean, we were essentially measuring um, MRR, right? So it was a service business, recurring revenue. Uh, uh, business where you put on a client, we, we build them every month. And so we were looking at our monthly billables, essentially. That was the primary metric.
0: Got it. Got it. And when it comes to the exit, how did those conversations begin? And, and where were you at in terms of
1: growth-wise? Was the How big was the team? Yeah, so we had 75, 80 people So by call center standards. a very small uh, business. And We were 10 years in and we would get calls. I don't remember how many years in a row we got a call uh, from our largest competitor saying, Hey, look, we're doing acquisitions. Would you be interested? And, you know, things were going pretty well at the time. Um, I was not particularly interested in selling the company. There was nothing else I was looking at doing. But after uh, 2 or 3 years, we continued to, to grow. And I, we had a lot of clients in e-commerce at the time that we were doing, order-taking for, customer service for on an inbound uh, basis. Um, and I started becoming interested in, in e-commerce. And it got to the point where we were seriously considering an idea for an e-commerce business. And I found a co-founder, a good friend of mine, I was interested in doing it with me. And so when I got that call uh, one year, I said, look, you know what? I'm not interested in selling, but this might be the last year I'm telling you that. You know, why don't you check in with me again next year or even sooner? And so on that phone call, he convinced me to uh, take a meeting with him. He was going to be in New York at some point in the next few weeks. and And I agreed to take a meeting with him. And in that meeting, you know, we sat in the conference room for three hours, and I maybe I was an impressionable kid at the time. I was in my mid, yeah, mid twenties, late twenties. Um, I, I agreed to sell the company, um, and it was a pretty straightforward uh, deal. Um, it, like I said, it was a recurring revenue business, uh, which, I, if I remember correctly, we uh, agreed to sell for a thirteen x multiple of our, of our top line, and they purchased. The assets they agreed to purchase the assets of the company, which primarily included the uh, the client based employees and some of the technology.
0: Nice, very nice. Yeah, I think there's always a a conversation about the stock purchase versus you know the asset purchase, and it's cool you got a 13x. That's that's pretty pretty great. Nowadays things have changed quite a bit on the, uh, the monthly recurring and SaaS business, Yeah, that,
1: that's what I'm hearing from other founders that are exiting. And, and I wasn't sure if that was unique to them or, you know, broader changes. But yeah, even at the time, I think 13X was the most they had paid for any acquisition that they did. I'm not sure what's happened since then with that. Yeah, cool.
0: Well, I guess what would really be helpful is kind of guiding us through some tips. So when it comes to getting a 13X, you know, you were negotiating, you mentioned that you were younger, A lot of young Mm -hmm. people listening to this or maybe running a a service-based SaaS-style business. What could you share around timing? Like, why was it the right time for you to exit?
1: Yeah, well, one thing that comes to mind is, yeah, I think about why we got uh, 13x when none of the uh, business owners before us were able to do so. And I, I think it probably all lies in the fact that we were just not interested in selling. It was not a negotiating tactic. I had no interest in selling the company. And to convince me to sell, they ne- ne- they negotiated themselves uh, into a higher purchase price. And mm. so, I don't know. I mean, being in a position where um, you can take it or leave it, I think it, it was, for us, very helpful. And I would imagine that's probably commonly the case.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sort of negotiating themselves into a higher higher multiples always
1: <laughs> always a good yeah. one. And did you shop it around at all, or
0: was it just just that one?
1: I, I mean, I really I, I remember thinking you know, that it would be a complete waste of his time and you know his flights over to New York because I just knew I wasn't selling the company, and mm-hmm. we had the, the our primary uh, my primary uh, objection was the company's growing. And I I like running it. There's no reason why I would sell right now. And what he ultimately did to convince me to sell is he gave me a higher multiple than they had given anybody else. And he also offered to give me that same multiple on future growth of the company. And so they would fund my sales team uh, and me over the following year. And all net new business, they would buy from me, despite them funding it uh, at that same multiple. And so it just wow. became the type of thing you would have to have been crazy to to, to, to not take, um, especially knowing that I had my next thing lined up. Wow. That's like a, a double dip. I love that. Where they were yeah.
0: buying, buying new business at a, at a certain multiple. What a great... A great you know, deal.
1: There was a third, sorry, now that I think about it, we had financed some pretty expensive technology to run the business. And there were still, I don't know, a couple of years, two, three years worth of payments on that. Um, they also offered to, to, to use our equipment during that time, paid off for us, and then continue using it after uh, it was paid off, making that same payment that they were making toward the, the balance to us. So just, it really, you know, it was hard for us, even though I went into that meeting, you know, quote unquote, knowing I wasn't going to sell, it was hard to leave not agreeing to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a a no brainer in many situations. So let's talk about preparedness. I think a lot of people the type of individual that you have to become to grow and scale and, and, and exit, a lot of things kind of fall apart with preparedness. So what could you share in terms of tips for a young entrepreneur out there listening to this of how to prepare the business for something like an exit?
1: Yeah, you know, we were not prepared. Again, not expecting to sell. And I mean, and I said we could have done a better job despite the fact that we were not looking to sell the company. Um, And we dealt with some consequences of that, right? Not being ready to sell resulted in substantially more time in the acquirer's diligence process and really, you know, much greater investment on our part, uh, tidying things up for sale at the end and in legal costs. So we thought we would close in 90 days. We ended up closing in 11 or 12 months. And so, yeah, I mean, I I think... Running the company as if you're going to transition it over to somebody else who needs to also be successful running it uh, from the start, which we're much better at today, uh, is, I don't know, it's sort of a, a prudent perspective to, to maintain all along rather than scrambling at the end the way we did.
0: Mm. Yeah this podcast is brought to you by flippa.com the leading global platform to buy and sell online businesses do you need a valuation for your business have you asked yourself who would buy my business flippa has a leading valuation tool it's free to use and based on thousands of historical sales to get a valuation or to schedule a call with an advisor head to flippa.com free valuation now back to the show Starting with being prepared early on is is pretty pretty key. So let's talk about the the timeline on the on the deal. From that meeting where you weren't going to sell and you sat down and they gave you a, a no brainer offer, when was it to you know the full deal being done? Yeah, it was.
1: I mean, so it was eleven or twelve months uh, until we closed, and then you know it was another year or so before I you know was completely out of the company, no longer having. Um, the right to be paid on any upside of that business, any new business on, that, that, that we acquired that we put on. And then it was a few years after that that I was completely out where I had all of my uh, technology paid off and, and returned to me, which was useless to me at that time. But
0: yeah, got it. And I think something I've, I've recently started asking on interviews is what was the best hire? Like you mentioned that the, the team or the, the company was about like 70 ish people. Um, what was a, a hire that stands out to you that, that really kind of helped the success of the company? And, and what could you share there? Because I think people really like hearing stories about successful hires and people that mean a lot on the team.
1: We had one of the most incredible salespeople I've ever met uh, back then, and, and, and probably I would say the same about him. Um, t- today. And um, yeah, I credit him a lot for the growth that we experienced. I mean, you know, maybe that's less important for us in in today's in the company I'm running today, which I'm happy to say a little bit more about. But for the type of company that we sold, uh, he was probably one of the most important and impactful hires we, we made.
0: Nice. Yeah. A, a solid salesperson in the early days can make a huge difference. So we've gone through kind of the, the timeline, the how to be prepared, sort of the, the structure of it. What was it, you know, afterwards that, that kept you around? You mentioned there was a bit of, sounded like almost like an earn out situation, but how long did you stick around with the, the company?
1: Yeah, so I pretty quickly started transitioning because the diligence process took as long as it did. Uh, we had already developed the second startup and began to operate it. So I ended up not sticking around for that full year the way I expected I would, the way I intended to, uh, and the way I probably would have if we had a a shorter closing. So um, I I continued to stay involved with the company in limited capacity for, I don't remember now, but it could have been up to the full year. Uh, but I almost immediately started the transition process out because we were building an e-commerce company. By by the time we had closed, we had already started building an e-commerce company.
0: Got it. Yeah. I think that that first year, the amount of founders, including myself, you know, after an exit with that first like transitionary year is tough because you're, you're sort of Getting the itch for to do something else, and you've seen sort of the team transition. How many how many people stayed after the the acquisition happened, and how long did they stay?
1: Yeah, they they kept the entire team. I mean, there was normal churn, but they they kept the entire team. I know a lot of them are still there today. Got it. They continued, uh, which is also unique uh, for you know the acquisitions that they've done. They kept my company as a separate standalone as opposed to rolling it into one of their existing uh, locations.
0: Nice. Yeah, and that, that's a great kind of segue. Is it still around? Like, are there still pieces of it that are still around?
1: Yeah, the whole thing's still around. The whole thing's still around. It's continuing to grow. It's, you know, they operate under the same name. Some of the same team, all these years later, are still there.
0: Wow. Yes, yeah,
1: so it's, it's interesting.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I think that's always a testament to what, What's been constructed after an acquisition, if it can stand the test of time on its own, is a real fun experiment to see. I mean, many, many explode yeah. right afterwards, but you know that's great.
1: It's cool. I mean, it's probably a testament to how good a job the acquirers are doing also. But yeah, we gave them something that, um, I don't know, was, was, had a strong enough foundation that they were able to continue operating and build upon it. And 15 years later, it's still still operating.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. So that brings us to the finale question. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago? Um,
1: this uh, may be a little idealistic, but um, and very cliche, but find something that you love. Operating a call center outsourcing company was probably not that as I <laughs> described how I ended up settling on that type of business to start. I literally did not consider a second alternative from... The time I decided I wanted to uh, start something, I picked the very first opportunity that I saw, and and I did it. And It was great, but you know, you can find something that that can be really valuable and impactful to uh, uh, I don't know its users, its uh, customers, and subsequently to the rest of its stakeholders. It's I don't know it takes on a completely new meaning. And for me, working on a our current Uh, Business has been a much different experience. I'd say it's been the greatest experience of my career. And when you love what you're doing, when you really feel like what you're doing matters in terms of its impact, it it just doesn't feel like work. And as much as I cherish the experiences that I I had um, all along that led me to this point, uh, if I could go back, I'd probably try to find something more authentically me and something that really added net value to the market to the world sooner.
0: Nice. Well said. Well said. So that brings us to what you're working on now. What can you tell us about what you're building? And yeah, where yeah, can, where can we can be find more.
1: Happy to. So we um, we've built a social media uh, platform, a new social media network. Um, that focuses on facilitating awareness, recognition, and sharing of experiences, specific experiences that users love or appreciate or otherwise find meaningful. And they're shared in such a way that they can be replicated by others. And those experiences fall into uh, two distinct categories. Uh, One is, for lack of a uh, better explanation, they're sort of commercial in nature. They're, you know, the products we love or the places we've been to, you know, it could be, I don't know, a restaurant or a bottle of wine or a book. And those things can be um, replicated right from the post. I can buy the book that you just posted or, you know, I can make a reservation at the uh, restaurant that you just went to. On the other end of the spectrum, the experiences are more personal in nature. They're the types of things that actually make us who we are. So they're our aspirations, there are inspirations, there are failures, our successes, our challenges, there are environments, the people that have played a role, and these experiences—these experiences are shared in such a way that they collectively make up our story. And the common thread between both experience types or categories is that um, you know, a users find them uh, meaningful in some way; they bring us joy or happiness, or, or they've shaped us. And then the other is they're shared in such a way that they have the potential to inspire or inform improvements in, in the lives of others.
0: Nice. Very nice. So what stage are you guys at? Is it, is it live? or yeah. How big is the team?
1: Yeah. So we, we've built... Uh, the, the name of the company is uh, Applaudable. Uh, We've built the platform for iOS and for Android. It's in uh, private beta now and just uh, a few weeks away from being soft launch for, uh, you know, Apple and and Android. Um, We've got 120,000 users on the platform, which is more than uh, the leading social media platforms before us at their equivalent stage. We expect we're projecting... uh, 5 million users in our first year uh, post launch publicly. We've got a comprehensive user acquisition strategy that we believe enables us to get to 100 million users over two to three years. And we're, we're doing a, a, a public offering today uh, that your audience can check out to learn more about the company, where we're at, and even uh, buy stock in the company, which they can find at uh, startengine.com forward slash applaudable.
0: Very cool. Well, nice. Those are all the questions that I have for you. Where can people follow you on social media?
1: Yeah, well, they can find me at at Andrew at Applaudable in a few weeks. And that's really where I'd want them to follow me. But uh, in the meantime, I'm at um, Andrew Chris on LinkedIn uh, or Andrew Chris on Instagram.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, wherever you guys are listening on iTunes or Spotify, the link to what Andrew mentioned will be in the show notes below, but I'm excited to check out Applaudable. And thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story, Andrew.
1: Yeah, thank you, Steve. Thanks for being invite.